Just his name, just his name, signifies both live with him. Maybe like no other character in children's literature, at least that I'm aware of. The name that conveys both being good and dangerous. If you have children, uh, you're familiar with the Harry Potter series, but if you have children, you might not be familiar with another series called The Chronicles of Narnia, written by C.S. Lewis. In his wonderful work called The Chronicles of Narnia, he invites us into some veiled truths with maybe a wink. We are introduced to a country called Narnia where animals talk. And it is in this first book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe that children go through this magical wardrobe into the land of Narnia. And there they meet, or they're introduced to, a character by the name of Aslan, who is a Christ figure. And in this exchange, in this very first book, they learn about the character of Aslan being both good and dangerous. Here's what one little girl by the name of Susan asks. She says, but shall we see him? Why, daughter of Eve, that's what I brought you here for. I'm here to lead you where you shall meet him, said Mr. Beaver. Remember, I said there's talking animals. Is he a man, asked Lucy. Aslan a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beast? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then is he safe, said the little girl Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Didn't you hear what Mr. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Come on, he isn't safe, but he's good. Don't miss that. Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's the king. This morning, we're not going to talk about Aslan, but he does illustrate the king, the one who is both a father and the one who is both Holy. In fact, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to see how those are wedded together and best seen in the person of Jesus Christ. This is message number two in a series that we're entitled called, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. And last week, when we began our series, uh, we understood that we are to approach him as a father. In Jesus' classic sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, the word father is repeated over 15 times, and it's this invitation that we have. We talk to him not as a force or a principle, but as a person. And not only as a person, but one who is very near. In fact, Jesus' actual words are our father who is in the heavens, and it's plural. And that plural use of the word moves him from being in a galaxy far, far away he is not here, but actually he is here, and he is very, very near. The passage of Scripture starts with first a warning, first a warning to those who are religious, who want to make sure that everybody knows that they are a praying person. 
Jesus gives a warning and he says, don't do that, don't do that. When you pray, be quiet. Be secretive, if you will. People have called that a quote-unquote prayer closet. And then he addresses another group of people called the pagans and said, just don't, don't keep rattling off words after words after words after words, like if you get the right formula, if I say the right things. Don't do that. In fact, what Jesus says is, so when you pray, do it this way. So let me show you something that has been a help, helpful tool to me over the years. This is just a model. And each of these boards, each of these platforms, if you will, serve as a truth. And we can just live and draw a well to those. So one, one has called it a template. One has called it a platform. Maybe you want to consider it a, just a, a deep, deep well that you can just let your mind ponder and think about and reflect. And the very first one is read for this reason that he's our father and that he's approachable. And that if you know Christ, you can address him as one who cares about you. But the next three are all gold for a particular reason. They talk about what God is doing and what his glory is about. These things will happen. And we're invited into that. We're invited into that. So that's where we're going to go this morning. We're going to go and take a look at what's called the first petition. The first petition, and all we're going to look at are four words. Hallowed be thy name. That's it. That's the whole sermon. And especially, we're going to camp on the first and the last verse. So reading in Jesus' name from Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, I'm going to invite you, when we get to the Lord's Prayer, to join me. Beginning in verse 5, here's the warning. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to, to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corner to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Prayer is both patience and it's persevering and it's difficult. Then when your Father sees what is done in secret, he'll reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they will think they were heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. This is how you should pray. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen and amen. Will you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, as we come to you today in the exalted name of Jesus, he is Yahweh. He is the covenant keeper. It is the name of Jesus that is on the lips of those who are dying and suffering because they love you and many will seal their fate with their blood. Heavenly Father, it is the name of Jesus that is translated in jungles and remote islands and across the oceans. Through technology and film and radio, the name of Jesus sets sinners free and names are forever written in the Lamb's book of life. It is in the name of Jesus that truly promises prisoners and criminals that debts are forgiven in heaven's ledgers. And Heavenly Father, it is the name of Jesus, the most important historical person who cannot be ignored or discarded because he lives 
And though he is cursed by many, he'll forever be what we sang, be exalted. Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, I pray you'll give us understanding what hallowed be your name means. Not merely knowledge-wise or head-wise, but it would practically in our lives and in our actions and in our thoughts cleanse us with a sanctifying fire that comes from the holy conviction, not manipulation or temporary guilt. So let your word show us specific areas that need to be touched by the hallowed name of who you are. Extend your name through us and your kingdom through us and your will through us because it will happen and we want to join you in Christ's name. Amen and amen. I want to invite you to uh, look in your bulletins for an insert that's there. If you follow along it and, and want to make some notes, you can go back and follow along. And if you're joining us online, we're so glad that you've uh, tuned in. You can uh, download it in our downloadable bulletin. So let's focus on just two words, okay? Because we're going to look, we're going to look at the fatherhood of God, his tenderness, yes, but this petition talks about his sacredness, which causes us reverence. So here's the first thing. I, I made up a word this week. I hope it's okay if you're a literature um, major. Don't write me a nasty gram and say you can't make up words. I did, so deal with it, okay? And the word is this halloweding invites us to join our Father in what he's doing. Halloweding invites us to join our Father in what he's doing. Let me put it this way. Jesus uses a verb. That's why there's that word. He uses the verb. Hallowed is a verb in this sentence, and actually the next couple petitions, the next couple sermons, will all use verbs. And the verbs go like this. Hallowed-ing be your name. And the next one goes, coming the kingdom of you, verb, doing the will of you as it is in heaven. It's stated as an action word. Now let's try to understand this or clarify it this way. When you hear the word hallowed, what do you think of? Well, if you go to the Oakwood Mall, across from Olive Garden, you will see a massive white tent that says Halloween Express. Is that what hallowed means? Like ghosts and goblins? They're using the word, right? Or I watched a friend last week, um, went to a, a, a university, and they they, they saw the, the school with its athletic honors and banners and trophies and great history. Is that what we mean? Is that what Jesus is saying? Like this great institution? Well, actually, Jesus uses the word hallowed in verse John 17 and 17 and 1 Thessalonians 5.23. The word actually means to set aside or sanctified or to be uniquely respected like no other. Here's how Jesus uses it in John 17, 17. You can actually translate it this way. Hallowed them, he's talking about his disciples, hallowed them by your truth. Your word is truth. Hallowed them, sanctify them by your word, the written word, because it's true. Then the apostle Paul uses the same word that Jesus used, hallowed as a verb. He uses it in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, and this is what he says. May God himself, the God of peace, hallowed you through and through hallowed you through and through. Like, what in the world? Second sentence. May your whole spirit, your soul, and your body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reality is this. Sacred is your name, and you're set aside 
and it will happen. Nothing can stop the hallowed name of God going forward. So let me give you an example. This is what I found out. When I was uh, growing up, I had a, I think, pretty normal childhood. But um, the only superhero that was my superhero growing up, I mean, we didn't have the Marvel Comics universe, okay? There was one superhero, and that was the guy. His name was George Reeves, and he was Superman. And as a little boy, I admired Superman. Why? Because he even had a tagline, and his tagline went like this as a little boy. He's faster than a speeding bullet. He's more powerful than a locomotive. He is able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. And don't you think I didn't wear a cape and run around the house in my underwear like Superman. I've got no pictures of that. You're welcome. Now, the coolest thing about Superman is when he ran, if you were really cool and it was windy, the cape would flop. It would flop out like this as you were running. And then you would stand like this and puff out your seven-year-old chest and pretend you are Superman. Because what? He's faster than a speeding bullet. He's stronger than a locomotive. He's able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Sign me up! And then I learned something, even about Superman, and it was after I went to seminary and got a master's degree, I thought, man, Superman, he never read the catechism. I mean, maybe he was too busy fighting bad guys. Let's give him a pass on that. But this is what I found out about someone who is so strong that we think he can stop anything. The first petition in what we teach our, our kids, it says this. Hallowed be thy name. What does it mean? It means this. God's name is holy in itself, but we pray. Read the underlined text with me. On your mark, get set, read that it may be holy also among us. In other words, it's going to come, and the invitation is, will it come to you? Now you may scratch your head and think to yourself, well, that's interesting. But then the second petition about the Lord's will, the second petition about the Lord's will, it says the same thing. God's kingdom truly does come of itself. But we pray in this petition that it may also come among us. And then the next petition, God's good and gracious will is without our prayer. But in this petition, it may also be done among us. What's your point? My point is done is this. It, it's an invitation to get involved with what God is doing. It's an invitation to get involved with what God is doing. Hallowed be thy name. Join him. Question. How is God's name hallowed or honored? Answer, God's name is honored when the word of God is taught truthfully and purely and when we gladly hear it and obey it. 1 Peter 4.11 says, As anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. Thank you, thank you, thank you for praying for us as pastors and ministry directors as we teach God's word. Pray that we will be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as we speak and lift up the name of Christ. That is my heart's desire. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you, thank you, thank you. When do we profane the name of God? 
I profane the name of God if I teach and I live in a manner contrary to the word of God. And that's just not for pastors. That's for y'all. All of us. 1 John 1, 6 says, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by truth. So here's the question. Can you write, hallowed be your name, over all the activities of your life and work? Your screen time, your conversations, your relationships, your free time. If so, ask him to help you turn away from activity that you're asking him to help you cast out an activity that's honoring to him. Live according to his work. Live according to his word. This got really practical for me. I'm working on this message, getting ready to deliver it to you, to encourage you, to equip you. And this is what happened on Tuesday, Tuesday night. I went to a service station uh, to get my uh, car washed, and I walked into the service station, and I had a coupon. I mean, it was a good car wash. It was the $7 one, but I got two bucks off because I like to save money. And I walked into the guy, and I said, you know, I've got a trip coming up, and uh, I'm just wondering if, I, if you could extend this coupon for, like, another week. And, uh, and it's the same thing. I'll give you my old coupon. And the guy looks at me and goes, how do I know if you're not lying? I said, well, I'm not lying. I just, I just told you the truth, you know? I didn't want to pull out my clergy card, but I could have gone there. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. And the whole time I'm working on this message, I'm walking out to my car, and I'm thinking, don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Just calm down. Don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Make it to your car without being a jerk. And then you can be a jerk in your car. And I just kind of whispered, and I said, Lord, you've got to help me. Because right now, I feel like that guy called me a liar. Small potatoes, sure it is. Let me just review this so that you're tracking with me. The fatherhood of the Almighty is not just the tenderness that we have, but it's sacred, and it's holy, and it's revealed in the name of Jesus. Those words of Jesus that are used here are a deep well that we should live and ponder and observe and think on and chew on and meditate. And as you're enjoying these glorious fall days, as you're outside, to wrestle through the question, Lord, what does it mean to have your name hallowed in my life, in my words, in my actions, in my interactions with people? Lord, help me. Help me. So here's a question. The Bible tells us that the only revelation that we have, the Bible gives us the only revelation that we have of God. Is the Bible the only revelation that we have of God, true or false? Uh, some of you are going, yeah, trick question. The answer is false. And here are three ways that God shows his revelation. They all start with C, so they're easy to remember. The first one is God shows his power in might, in creation. That's why my friend Aaron read Psalm 148. Did you see the stars? Did you see the moon? Did you see the planet? Did you see creation? They all testify to who he is. The second revelation that God gives is that of conscience. The book of Romans chapter 1, verse 17 through 8 through 20 talks about people who suppress the truth. They push down the truth. Our human hearts are calibrated they are calibrated for eternity, but they are disorientated because of sin. You say there's tension there. Absolutely. 
And here are some of the four, four questions that are easy to remember. Think of mommed. M morality. Why do people continue to ask, how do we know what is true and right? Who puts those questions in our hearts? They ask questions about origin. Where did we come from? Where did all this exist? Did we just come here by mistake? The second M is meaning. What is my purpose? Why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I here? Who put that in us? And the final D is this, what's my destiny? What happens after I die? Is this just it? Those are powerful questions. But the best revelation of God is the person of Jesus Christ. You cannot ignore him. He may be the most debated, researched, criticized person who ever lived, but you cannot ignore him. History doesn't allow us to do that. And that ties into the second thing, that our Father's hallowed name displays his glory, and Jesus came to display the Father. Our Father's hallowed names display his glory. I'll put it this way. God is who his names are. His multiple names show us what he's like. When you see all his names, we look at the light of the world, the person of Jesus Christ, who illuminates our Father's forever character again and again and again, and it's holy and it's sacred and it's almighty. Now let me explain this. Explain it this way. Yes, this talks about keeping God's name holy, and it's more than just cursing. You might sound like, boy, does this sound like the second commandment? The second commandment from Exodus 27 says this, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So yes, we are not soft on sin. Cursing and swearing and lying and deceiving are out of bounds for the child of God. Maybe you've seen this on a coffee mug. I love God, but I curse. I swear. How about changing that coffee mug to say, I swear, Lord, help me. I love you. But the front side, the front side of making God's name holy is that we are to love God in prayer, in praise, in thanksgiving. Author of the Message Translation, Eugene Peterson writes in his book, Tell It Slant, God has a name. It is not, are you out there somewhere? But his name is holy. And holiness is a distinct quality of otherness that sets God aside and beyond us. We are made in his image. He is not made in ours. By saying that he is our father, it names a person, not an object's father's have daughters and sons. They are unique blood relatives. And so Jesus says, both in John chapter 17, 6, he makes this powerful comment. He says this, I have made you known to those you gave me. And then in John 17, 26, says, I've made your name known to them. The reason why Christ came is for us to know the Father. And you see those footprints throughout the narrative in the book of John. I'll go through these verses quickly. They're printed in your bulletin. You can find them, and you can look them on, up online. John 1.18 says this. Jesus says, I have made the Father known. John 8.19, if you knew me, you would know the Father. 
John 8, 27, they didn't understand that he was telling them about his father. John 10, 38 says, the father in me and I in the father. And John 12, 45, when he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. And finally, John 14, 9 through 11, Jesus talking to his friend Philip. Don't you know me, Philip? The words I say to you are not my own. Rather, it's the father who's living in me who is doing your work. And we need all of the scriptures, friend, all of the scriptures from the Old Testament and the Psalms and the Gospels and the epistles and the prophetic literature of the apocalypse in Revelation to see the full glory of Christ and who he is. And it displays and it shows us the Father. So let me give you a warning and then let me give you a gift. First a warning and then a gift. Okay? And I have this to admit in, in working on this. If you look at this closely enough, the first petition has gone this way. I, used to t I, I would teach this for years, that we have a heavenly daddy, and there is a teaching that's in the church that calls him Abba Daddy. Be careful with that, because intimacy cannot exclude his holiness. Intimacy can't exclude his holiness. He is other than us. And in this, in the person of Christ, it is both and. He is both tender and he is terrifying at the same time. That is the wonder and the mystery of prayer. And so if we say the word daddy, we have to be careful because good scholarship says Abba is what a child would call a father. But at the same time, it does not exclude God's holiness and his otherness and who he is. Intimacy does not exclude reverence. Listen to that. True intimacy does not eliminate sacred otherness. This is the one that said to Moses, take off your shoes. You are on holy ground. This is a holy meal. That is why we contemplate and we think and we, we ponder and we wait and we say, God have mercy on me. And this is the warning that we would have any kind of idolatry, any kind of misrepresentation of who God is like. This rubs those edges off and says, he's a father. And he is holy. Now let me give you a gift. And I'll give you the gift in this story. In 1925, Dr. Howard was invited to a great convention. And in that great convention, the President of the United States, President Harding, was invited. And when Dr. Howard, the pastor, watched all the dignitaries that were there, when President Harding came in, he noticed that one particular person had never took off his turban, never stood when the President of the United States came in and didn't close his eyes when everyone else prayed. Not this particular person. Dr. Howard watched this person and realized he was from India and he quickly picked up that he was a Muslim. And as the lectures were going on and the, the presentation was going on, he noticed that this nobleman was, was playing with or, 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 or holding the beads that were around his neck. 
and just kind of whispering and, and noticing the beads. And Dr. Howard looked at him and, and watched him and later came up to him and said, I noticed that you have some beads around your neck, a necklace. And the nobleman from India said, no, these are not beads. They are my pearls of paradise. He said, we know Allah better than you know the God of the Christian God. Well, Dr. Howard, in his own words, says, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a, in a, uh, in a home that, that lifted the name of Christ up, and we sung the name of Christ, and that we would send out missionaries to places where this man came from. And then the Mohammedan, the, the Muslim leader said, I challenge you to find more names for your God than the names that we have for Allah. Well, Dr. Howard went to a uh, concordance and found that there were only 50 names for the name of God in that concordance. And some of the ones that he knew weren't in the concordance. They didn't line up. And so he said, where do I go to find the names of God? And he realized probably the best place is God's word. And so he opened up the book of, the, the book of Luke and began to read the, the nativity story and came and quickly found seven names for God. The first name that we find in the New Testament is Jesus. And then it's the Son of the Highest. Then it's the Son of God. And then it's Emmanuel. Then it's Savior. Then it's Christ. And then it's Lord. And Dr. Howard went on to compile over 200 names. And those names are in your bulletin right here. And I give these to you as a gift that God is who his names are. Our Father's hallowed names display his glory. And may you, as you are outside enjoying, just marinate on his names. What does it mean that he is Jehovah Nisi? The banner over me is love. What does it mean that he is Jehovah Jireh? The one who will always provide. What does it mean that he is Lord Sabbath and that he gives us rest that's more than a vacation? What does it mean that he is our provider? What does it mean that he is the bright and morning star? What does it mean that he is the one that forgives our sins? And what does it mean that he is a friend of sinners. That's one of his names. Julie and I are living in a, in a truth from a pastor friend who's gone home, and he wrote this. There's only two kinds of people. There are forgiven sinners who are going to meet the Redeemer in heaven, or there are stubborn sinners who will face judgment. He's a friend of sinners. And as one good friend of mine says, Kirk, you qualify. This meal is to be taken respectfully, humbly, graciously. No one deserves this meal. In fact, it's an admission that you are a sinner. And so as we hear the words of institution, I pray that you would process these powerful actions that took place, and then we'll take it in together. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified Jesus along with its criminals. One was on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, another name, the chosen one. Soldiers came up and they mocked Jesus. They offered Jesus wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And written 
notice above him said, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him and said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. And us too. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We're punished justly for getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him saying, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And later, knowing that everything now had been finished and so scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it. They put the sponge on the stalk of a hyssop plant, and they lifted it to the lips of Jesus. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. So the gracious invitation of our Lord is this. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And then this wonderful promise that if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just, he'll forgive our sins and cleanse us, set us apart, sanctify us, hallow us from all unrighteousness. So here are the four questions that we always process. First of all, do you believe in the promises found in the scriptures? Secondly, do you recognize the presence of Christ? Thirdly, do you repent and turn away from your sins and say, God, help me. I plead with you to not play with sin. And number four, are you at peace with people in our body here at our church? Have you reconciled with them? I'll just have you close your eyes and talk to the Lord quickly. Father, you've heard the prayers of your people, your daughters and sons. Thank you that there is mercy found in Christ. There is forgiveness found in Christ. And we have the body and blood of Christ. Amen. Let's stand together and confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed that has been confessed by believers for 2,000 years. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, for there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share 